I got arrested for the first time in 1981. I was eight. Ben Baller is your true rags to riches story. Growing up from Los Angeles gang culture. It's your boy Ben Baller, you know what I'm saying? Representing that platinum lifestyle. To selling some of the most expensive jewelry to the most famous people in the world. This includes people like Drake, Kanye West, Mariah Carey, Justin Bieber, John Mayer, Mac Miller, Kid Cudi, and many, many more. I met Tupac there. DJ Jada Pinkett's birthday there. I met NFL stars. I met tons of NBA players. I met Dr. Dre there and got my job from him there. All while being featured in some of the most recognizable rap lyrics of all time. However, all of that recently came to an end when he decided to abruptly quit. Today, he's exposing everything from growing his empire, spending money, and the secrets behind all of his success on today's episode of subscribe. But first, we're really excited to announce today's sponsor, HubSpot. Look, I could say from experience that running a business could often feel like juggling a whole bunch of things at the same time. And one of the most overlooked aspects that most people don't even consider is digital marketing. That is exactly where HubSpot comes in. They've recently acquired The Hustle, which is a newsletter started with just one person and has now skyrocketed to over 3 million followers. HubSpot and The Hustle have teamed up to bring you a comprehensive guide on exactly what you need to do to build an effective newsletter. And I say all of this as somebody who has a newsletter already with over 40,000 people on it. If you're not doing a newsletter, you absolutely should consider it because it's so powerful. Graham, that sounds really expensive. Well, the good news is that this is completely free. And by signing up for the newsletter, you're not only gaining access to super valuable tips and tricks, but you're also becoming a part of the hustle's thriving business community. It's a place where entrepreneurs like you can connect and watch other businesses flourish. Now you might be wondering, are newsletters even relevant in this day and age? Well, when it comes to digital marketing, volume is key. And when done right, newsletters can drive thousands of visitors straight to your website. HubSpot provides the tools, expertise, and strategies you need to make your newsletter stand out. And again, I'll tell you from firsthand experience, having a newsletter is so important because the people you reach that sign up with a newsletter are the ones you really want to reach out to. So don't put this off. Don't just think, oh, I'll do it later. Take your business to the next level with HubSpot. So click the link in the description to check out your free newsletter building guide. Again, it's free. That's F. R-E-E. Okay, it's in like zero it. dollars. It it's they zero it. dollars. It's Thank you so much, HubSpot. And now back to the podcast. I am so excited to have you on because oh, I got to say, dude, when it comes to jewelry, hip hop, I feel <laughs> like you're a legend at this, man. Like immortalized in, in rap lyrics too, I feel like in a sense. Dude, I had like this marketing company from NBC that did this thing and I was like, fuck, I didn't even know I was going to mention like in a hundred songs. I was like, wow. You've been mentioned in 100 songs? Yeah. There's actually a huge K-pop star right now. I was looking at the door and there was like an address to make sure I was a and someone's name is Jay Park here or whatever. Jay Park is like the Diddy of Korea. He's, you know, and K-pop is obviously enormous, you know, BTS, all that stuff. He was in a, in a K-pop group. He was huge. So he has like three record labels now and everything else. And his last album, he has a hit single. The name of the song is Ben Baller. So the, the only the hook is about it. It's just, I was like, what? I feel kind of weird about that, bro. And then we shot the video at my store. It was just fucking weird. It's like, I always forget about yeah. like things like that, you know, but. Where'd you come up with the name Baller? the end where did that come from um it came from playing basketball because that was the, yeah. that was the term on the street if you were a baller yeah it was like right before being a baller it was like a dude on the streets who had money who was hustling and getting you know getting bread or you had bet but really baller was like in that mid late 80s you were playing ball like you actually had to play you know you had skills playing basketball really? baller shorts this and that and it was just not and it changed completely to a different thing you know which it all yeah. transitioned correctly so that's interesting uh what where did you get your start you grew up in Los Angeles, right? I was born and yeah. raised about probably, we get real geometry, uh, um, I was going to say geometrical. Ge <laughs> um, <laughs> real geometry. As far, uh, I would say, what, about four or five miles from here. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was born and raised in Koreatown. That's probably one of the, the biggest 
and gentrified areas. And it was really yeah. about a square mile. K-Town probably occupies more area than Hollywood now. It's like, it's, it's ridiculous how far it stretches. Born and raised there, um, predominantly Latino community, always been predominantly Korean-owned businesses. But then the Koreans really started moving. I saw this thing the other day where people didn't believe me. And I've been saying it for a decade at least, maybe even long, two decades. Korean food in Los Angeles now in Koreatown is better than Korean food in Korea. There's certain soups and stews and certain recipes and certain things in Korea that are going to always have that, that, you know what I'm saying, that sauce. But the money here is so big that all the best chefs and all the best cooks have come to L.A. And um, you could just go to any random place. It's hard to get bad Korean food here. Koreatown, they want to make it look like Korea. There's certain things infrastructure-wise they can't do here, like, for instance... You know, when you see a building that's four or five stories tall, now there's three or four stories underneath as well. And you could be on the fourth story basement. Hmm. Like you'd be on 4B and have five bars on your phone. Like how the fuck is this happening? You know what I mean? Like the Wi-Fi is incredible. You walk everywhere. But it's just a weird thing. Like I love it. And sometimes I'm like, I want to go. I could never live there. What hmm. was your childhood like? My childhood was very weird. Um... Dad's professor, also a pastor at a church. What do you teach? Asian studies, UCLA. My dad was head of Asian, Asian history there for um, 30 plus years. Hmm. My mom was a dress contractor. She sewed dresses in a factory. Um, both of them working early. Uh, either one of them were able to take me to school. Sometimes after a while they didn't. So I was a latchkey kid at an early age. I was probably a latchkey kid at maybe like even as early as six or seven. We did have a nanny when I was born. My mom and dad came here poverty stricken. Um, I think my mom came out with 20 bucks or something like that. I had said $200 one time in an interview and then my sister was like, what the fuck do you mean she had $200? And I guess my brother had told me that my dad had went to jail for moving violation. He couldn't afford to pay it. And like even to the point where I remember going to candy, getting candy in the store. I'm 50. Snickers, Twix, whatever the fuck it was. I remember when Twix came out for the first time. I saw old time, you know, I remember seeing these candies and seeing like a, a Hershey's bar or something. And I remember it was 25 cents. I remember going when gas was like 19 cents, like that. I remember going and seeing like a soda was 30 cents, like a Coke. You know, you start seeing different things. And so if my brother is eight years older than me, can you imagine how cheap a piece of gum or something was then? And my brother ate a piece of gum because he'd never been in a store before. He was like tripping. Hmm. And um, he uh, didn't pay for it. He just ate a piece of gum. And my parents were having a panic attack because they couldn't afford to pay for that. It's crazy, right? And I've had this fascination with liquor stores since I was a kid. And one thing my wife and my mother-in-law noticed, like, took them maybe a couple of years. My mother-in-law had said, Ben has a fascination with like liquor stores. And I always had because I was a kid walking the streets. So I was going to a liquor store. There always used to be video games in there, arcade games, 25 cent. I would go there. And that was like, arcade games raised me, the streets raised me. I got arrested for the first time in 1981. I was eight. You know what I'm saying? Why would you get arrested for it? I was eight. stealing. 82. Sorry, I was nine. I was stealing ColecoVision video games out of Sears. And they had um, a tent. They had like a thing where they were doing a renovation inside Sears at the Cerritos Mall in Cerritos, California. And they moved everything outside. And the security was terrible. So what I would do was I would see all these video games I loved. ColecoVision shit, right? I would take the video games and shove them under the tent. Then we go into the parking lot and go on the other side and grab oh, the fucking things. Man. And I got away with it. Our dumb ass is me and my, 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 my boy, Fred, we got on a bus 
and were bragging about 200 something dollars. I didn't know that was grand theft larceny. I had no idea. Actually, it was probably more than that because it was grand theft larceny. I think it maybe might've hit, it hit a certain point. Whatever grand theft larceny was in 1982. And a security guard from Sears was on the fucking bus with no, us. Oh man. And then by the time he goes, hey man, you guys are like, he wasn't aggressive. He was a big dude, much bigger than us. We could have ran. And then we didn't. So I was so scared because my dad was such a bad, he was a big motherfucker. People used to be like, oh shit, he's a Korean King Kong Bundy. I don't know if you know King Kong Bundy was. That's like a fam- like Andre the Giant. Like he was a famous wrestler. So I stayed in jail overnight because when they, you were nine, yeah, they were asking me, "Hey, what's your phone number? What's your address?" And I was like, "I don't know." What's your phone number? I don't know. That's how scared I was to go home because jail was gonna be better than me going. You know how what I'm saying? They do to, that to, at nine? Was it like a holding cell or something? No, I was in a cell. I was in a holding cell with actual fucking adults and everything. And every time new people would come in, they'd be like. Like there was one chick who was like partying, just a yeah. white blonde chick. She'd be like, what the fuck are you in here for? You know, because tell you the truth back then, I looked like a good kid. You know, I had like long hair, whatever. Boom. I looked like, you know, I, I had decent clothes. So they were like, what the hell? And then at a certain point, there were some drunk dudes. There were some like Paisa, Paisa dudes, like, you know, dudes who were just fresh off the boat from Mexico. There was a bunch of random dudes. There was some other, there was, some, there was like a couple, like there was like maybe one thug. And I was cracking jokes. So I had the jail cell crack and they're laughing and stuff. And I'm nine, the sheriff came in. And he goes, fuck, it's so funny. And I was like, man, go off. And I remember him grabbing the back of my head and slamming my face against the wall. And I was like, fuck you. Finally, my boy Fred kind of caved in. His mom found out. She came to pick us up. They called my parents. And my sister called the police station. Remember, this is different times. This is rotary phone, no call waiting. There's a thing called emergency breakthrough. If you guys aren't familiar with that, there was no call waiting. So if your phone's busy they will call the operator and they'll do an emergency breakthrough to your phone. I'm like, this is an emergency breakthrough. Someone needs to talk to you. Because remember, I always think about now, like, what would you do? Like, you're trying to reach somebody. Yeah. You just didn't. You missed out or whatever. Like, if you know, you'd be like, oh, shit, there was someone there. They took off. What were you going to do? Go call their cell phone? There wasn't cell phones. I mean, there was, but it's like, there was, I think, maybe like in the early 80s, mid 80s, but like, it was like $19 a minute. Wait, hold that thought for a moment, Ben, because we just teleported all the way back to our studio to talk about something that's extremely important, and that would be data privacy. So we live in a digital era, which obviously is great for making money, but not so good when it comes to your personal information. Now, I didn't tell you this, Graham, and it's a crazy coincidence, but just last week, one of my housemates, Kevin, had his identity stolen. And the thief has been trying to use Kevin's identity to buy TVs, and I kid you not, is destroying Kevin's credit score. Don't end up like Kevin. Eliminate this risk entirely and use today's sponsor delete me delete me helps you protect your personal data and keep it private they specialize in removing your personal information from data broker websites so that you could have more peace of mind knowing that your sensitive financial details aren't floating around over the internet delete me even has a team of privacy experts who take care of everything for you so all you have to do is sign up so go to join slash ich20 or use promo code ich20 to get 20 percent off all consumer plans again that's code ich20 at join Protect yourself, stay private, and safeguard your financial well-being with Delete Me today. And now with that said, let's Let's get get back back to to the podcast. podcast. What was it about the streets that you gravitated towards? What was I going to do? There was really nothing else for me to do, so play basketball and do that, right? Your parents um, were cool with that? Because they weren't. They were super strict thing of like a professor would be, he'd probably be pretty buttoned up, wanting his kid to go down maybe the right path, not like hanging out with... So I was the youngest of three. My brother and sister both went to boarding schools. My brother went to school with the Kennedys. My brother went to school with the, the most elite of elite. There's no school in Beverly Hills or even Stuyvesant like in New York. Or I'm just trying to think of any high-end level school. 
it doesn't get, you know, I mean, it's up, you know, it's, it gets to the point where it's like even Harvard and Yale and those Ivy League schools, they're still in Ivy League. There's so few schools in a high school system that have a history of Andover or Exeter, a Phillips Academy, you know what I mean? And my brother was there. He was a brilliant, you know, he was a genius, like beyond genius. Yeah. Almost to the point where I didn't understand what the spectrum was until I started having kids and you start realizing what like um, Asperger's is or certain things and even yeah. like finding out Elon had it. I almost feel like my brother and Elon are a lot, a lot alike. Um, and my sister is also very brilliant. So they're in boarding school. So I was at home just f***ing up. And I think that I was smart enough to get good grades, but my homework wasn't very good. Hmm. So back in the day, you would get graded on tests, you know, your grades, but you also got graded on conduct. So I could have an A in a class, end up getting a C or a D because my conduct was so bad. Like I would be in school and I remember, you know, the teacher would call the principal, like pick up the phone again, you know, phone with the wire. Mm -hmm. And I'd be like, fuck this. I go get scissors from arts and crafts and cut the phone lines. Hello, 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 hello. Cause I knew I was going to get in trouble. Like I would do silly shit. Like, like I just did, I, I caused a lot of trouble. How did like, you not just get continuously suspended? Well, my parents got divorced know? when I was 10. Okay. And I think that right there was the end of everything. And I think I was really happy as a kid, generally. Yeah. We ate dinner every night with my family. We, um, we were, we were, it was a very big thing. We had to have dinner. We had to go to church. We had to do certain things. It was a weird thing. Then for like a little bit, my mom ghosted. I don't think my mom ghosted because she didn't want, my mom was getting her ass whooped every day. Like my dad was whooping her ass, but that she was the breadwinner. And my dad made, I think at one point, I think he was making maybe up to $30,000 a year as a professor, mm -hmm. you know, and that ain't shit. And um, my mom was just over it. She's like, fuck this, I can't do this anymore. I think she was sleeping at the factory. My mom worked 80 to 100 hour weeks and she took off for a little bit. And she's like, fuck this. She left everything, like her clothes, everything. She's like, fuck this, I'm gonna start over. And in a way, I, I feel like, man, me and my mom are so alike. Me and my dad aren't really like my dad. He would tell me stories that he was really wild as a young kid. Um, the crazy part is my dad was born in Pyongyang. It wasn't North Korea then. Korea was one country. How fucking crazy is that? Hmm. That when the war happened, my dad walked across the fucking border. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And then now at that point, there was no going back to North Korea. So that's a weird thing. I don't know if I've really even, I've talked about it on my podcast. I never yeah. really talked about it on a, on a public pla pa podcast forum you know, a platform. But um, yeah, man, I grew up in the streets and everything else. And then I met this dude, Eric Holmes. And um, he was like 6'2 at like 13. And he was from a Crip gang. And I was just fascinated with Crips. Crips, you know, I actually lived in a blood neighborhood surrounded by SA neighborhoods, right? By all Mexican gangs. And I was fascinated with the culture. I don't know what it was. I was obsessed with hip hop. I was breakdancing. Yeah. I was winning breakdance contests, you know, in the early 80s. I was able to go to New York as a young kid, you know what I mean? And go try to find Rocksteady Crew and Beat Street Crew and all that stuff. And just doing, I was completely submerged in hip hop culture from the graffiti aspect to the DJing to hip hop in every possible form. But I also love basketball. And there was a park one block away from me called Audmore Park. I can't tell you how many murders must have happened at this fucking park, right? Koreatown's is still a pretty decent area, but if you go to some CD parks, you'll see some shit, you know? And then there's an area called Chateau Park where it's like, it could get real ugly right there. That's kind of like almost at a border. I don't even know if you would call it Koreatown, but you could because it's like across the street. And it was just like this little area that we grew up in. 
So I think after my parents got divorced, I had transferred so much from fifth grade, sixth grade to my freshman year in high school. I went to six schools. That's a lot. I remember getting transferred to one school the first day. Didn't know anybody there. Was affiliated with like a, a little gang and this and that. Yeah. And, and, and it, this was a school where, and, I, and it, most people know that live in LA, LA. I don't know how it works anywhere else. Cause I think that this is like, the, this was a capital gang culture, you know, when it comes, but like our school had like, you know, when you see like valedictorian, blah, whatever, boom, the principal's yeah. office, there was areas in the office where they actually had all the gangs that were there and they had the, the people line up and they had gang pictures that are no. updated every year. Yeah. If you're in 18th street, whatever, boom, you know, you're from the hell rats, you're from the Rockwood street, you're from the rascals, whatever diamond street, they had all the gangs lined up. My first week at this school, I've been there first day. And I kicked this kid in his thigh. I gave him a Charlie horse. I didn't know who the f***ing kid was. Kicked out right there. Why? Why'd you, why'd you kick that I have that no kid? idea why. He's, I just felt like I didn't want to You don't remember f- why you kicked him? Don't even know. I honestly think that I, he, he really had no... I, I don't think he had a reason to be kicked. You just... I gave a knee right to his, to his thigh. And I gave him a Charlie horse and he fell down. And he started crying. My transcript was already bad. And you know, these transcripts get sent here and yeah. there. I think after three days, they're like, yo, you're out of here. So finally, I went to a Catholic school. Catholic school, it's like, you know, they're not going to f*** around at all. And there's like, you know, Sister Mary this, blah, blah, there's nuns. And I got all the way through the year, battling through shit, all this other stuff, wearing a uniform. On the last fucking week of school, I got caught flipping off the nun. Why did you flip off the nun? I you didn't know. have she to was, do that. She was such a bitch. <laughs> so What'd she do, man? Ready? She was just a bitch. She was, she was, a, she was a miserable piece oh, of shit. Oh, no. They call my dad's <laughs> office at UCLA. Remember, my brother's a lot older than me. Yeah. My brother happened to be home from college, picked up my dad's office phone and acted like my dad and worked out a deal with the school because only one week of school no. left. I said, let him do all this, this, and this. Remember my brother's genius. Yeah. He got a 1580 on his SAT at 14. And then my dad put him in the hospital because he didn't get a perfect score. Like put him in. And every time I think I got my ass beat every single time, like I think about getting hit by a belt like 400, 500 times, like cruel shit. Like he would do, like put me in the bathroom, turn the lights off, maybe sit on my knees for 30 minutes. By the time you get up, I don't care how young you are or how resilient you are, you can't walk because you're like sore. You know what I mean? You have cramps or anything. Then you get up and you get smacked. Like he would just do crazy shit. My dad would like, you know, like I would have to wear long sleeves on a hot day because I have so many lashes on my arms and stuff. My brother got beat worse than I did. And I, regardless, like imagine getting your ass knocked the f*** out. How do you want, you're not going to, you know, if someone else gets it worse, it's like, Jesus Christ, you know? Yeah. My brother was able to work out a deal to where I would still graduate seventh grade. Was it eighth grade? I forgot. Seventh grade, I think. And not go to school, turn my homework every day, and he would do it. And my brother would just basically every morning act like he was taking me to school. He would take me to Venice Beach to go work out at Gold's Gym, boom, whatever this. He would do the homework. And he's like, I should kick your ass for being a fuck up. I can't believe this. Boom. He understood. Like, I was the youngest. I was fucking up. Finally, my dad was like, look, I don't want to pay for Catholic school anymore. Moving to a 630 square foot apartment, one bedroom fucking apartment. Me, my dad, my sister, part time, my brother. One bed. This was a fucking tiny place. Never forget, 360 South Rexford Drive in Beverly Hills, so I could be in the Beverly Hills School District. So I went to Beverly Vista. At that school, um, there was a kid, a Russian kid, that was a troublemaker, and I was like, all these fucking pussy motherfuckers. Because Beverly Hills is fucking bullshit. But I lived in an apartment building, you know what I'm saying? So it was like, it was a weird thing. Mm-hmm. Russian kid, 
was a graffiti artist. I was like, who is this clown? Now, mind you, most graffiti artists, you'd be 16, 17, 18 or something. Like, there aren't going to be many graffiti artists that are 13 or 14. But I ran with the older crowd always. So I was with guys who were driving, you know what I'm saying? When I was getting kicked out of all the schools and gangbanging and stuff, I was hanging out with one of the most notorious graffiti crews in the world. This dude ended up actually joining a rival group because he's from the west side. I'm all the way, you know, you know, anywhere from Boyle Heights to downtown LA to like Koreatown. And um, he used to write Rescue. And he was Russian. And I thought he was like, whatever. Anyways, fast forward, this dude ended up being in a massive hip-hop group called House of Pain, hmm. DJ Lethal. Then after that, he was even in a bigger rock band called Limp Bizkit. Yeah. So, you know, like me and, me and Lethal always been cool. It was like a, a weird thing. and We've always been cool. And like I connected with him there. Then when, you know, I finished there, I actually liked that school. There was hot chicks. I was like, damn, these chicks. There was like girls were just beautiful. People were rich. Even if you weren't, you were still privileged. Rodeo Drive, whatever. And I'm like, wow, this is kind of all right. It was cool. I went to school with Ray Manzarek's son, Pablo. Ray Manzarek was one of the members of The Doors, one of the most famous rock bands ever. So it was like a really cool thing. I didn't care we were poor and that we lived in this little small place. So now I go to Beverly Hills High. Menendez Brothers. Monica Lewinsky is one of my closest friends. Menendez Brothers were there? Yeah, they were there. I got in a fight with fucking Lyle or Eric like like my first week there. So how did you get into a fight with Eric Menendez? I was a freshman playing football. We were just walking past and... um, even though it's a big school. Now, Beverly Hills High School is the only high school in Beverly Hills. Yeah. There was like a small private school that there's a couple of Jewish academies. And I remember passing through going to the swim gym, which is the gymnasium that has a swimming pool for water polo and for swim meets and it has a basketball gym on top of that, like an opening one. This was a pretty dope school. I ended up getting in a fight with this dude. Like, well, I shouldered him, you know, freshman. This guy's a senior. Didn't realize later. I was like, holy shit. Like later, later, like all that shit happened in real time. Mm. You know what I mean? It was crazy. There was kids driving to school in Porsches, BMWs and things like that. And I was like, whoa. I ended up meeting some really cool people at, at a young age. At 15, I met Nicole Eggert and she was already on a hit TV show called Charles in Charge. And I was like obsessed with, I was like in love with this girl. My friend was dating her. She ended up being the other girl outside of Pamela Anderson on the number one show in the world called Baywatch. Me and Nicole, Nicole just sent me a picture the other day. She's like, I've known you a long time. Like I saw her the other day. I saw her like three or four years ago when I, when I bought my new house and had a 4th of July party and this and that. Anyways, mm. me and Monica Lominski had like four or five classes together. One kid that was in my class that was always quiet was on my football team. I saw him get dropped off in a black Testarossa. Now, mind you, in 1988, this is Miami Vice. A black Testarossa, yeah. that's literally like, that's that's as cool as me dropping off my kid in a fucking in a LaFerrari. It was a big fucking deal. And the kid's name is James Purse. He's an enormous mm-hmm. fucking designer. Yeah. We, I, we were talking the other, like a couple weeks ago. Now think about how many kids went to school. David Schwimmer, Richard Dreyfus, Lenny Kravitz went to my high school. And there's so many different people. So obviously, because I was in hip hop, I gravitated towards, you know, many of the black kids that went to school there. One of the kids that went to school with me is a dude named Chauncey. He ended up being a famous rapper named Loon on Bad Boy Entertainment. He had a couple of really big hit songs. And um, it was crazy. Like when I think back now, like CW has one of the number one shows, which was Netflix, was number one show called All American. It's still on the air now. The show All American is based on my football team, on my coach and my boy. You know what I mean? His dad was crazy. Like that whole show was based on that. It's kind of like, why do you think so many people graduated from Beverly Hills High School? Do you feel like it's it's the money? Do you feel like it's the connections? Everybody in the same place? Do you feel like it's maybe just coincidence? I think that one, 
you get a great education. They had a really high return. I think it was like 70-something percent went to college. Um, if your family worked for the city, whether it be in sanitation, or, you know, you could be poor person. Yeah. If your family worked for the city, my boy Greg Holmes, his dad was in sanitation. And, you know, you look at sanitation like, dude, dad's a trash man, dude. Fuck what up. I never knew trash men made six figures in the fucking 80s. These guys get paid. You know, they're getting money. Firemen, whatever. And um, I just think that people wanted to go to a good, they want, they'd rather be in a good school. You know, back in the day, Westwood was the place to hang out in. Mm. Westwood now, it's like whatever. There's, you know, there's the Grove, there's this. But you wanted to go to Westwood to see a movie. That's why everyone cool was going to Westwood. All the movie premieres were in Westwood. All the celebrities were going to Westwood. The Olympics were in town in 84 and all this shit that was going on. But Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, you know, I ended up getting kicked out of Beverly. Why'd you get kicked out of Beverly? I was running a, a well, two things. I was smoking cigarettes and I was running a gambling, uh, a, a bookie. You know, I was, I was a bookie. The dude I got kicked out of school with, his name is Tommy Woolfolk. Lucky I am from a very big hip hop group. That was like a legendary group. There's a dude named Murs from his group and like Murs was really famous. He was doing commercials and everything. Both got kicked out. Now I'm thinking, fuck, what am I going to do? How do you get caught? I mean, people are losing money and they're reporting. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, because they yeah. lost money. Yeah. Now, were you taking a rake on that or like, were you getting paid or were you just facilitating? Let me be real with you, man. Yeah. There was a couple kids I knew I could punk and like they'd lose <laughs> and I would obviously collect. And then one kid, I remember one year the Super Bowl, he he won. And I just thought, I said, fuck you, man. No. Yeah, I was like, I think that's what, what ended it. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> was it like a negligible amount of money or was it something like... It was a couple hundred bucks, but that's a lot of money back, back then. You have to understand right, how huge right, that right, was. Right, right, right. So High there was a kid, kid yeah. that lived in the borderline of Beverly Hills. I don't know how he went to school there. He was always hustling. He was always fast talking. He was always this. He today is probably one of the biggest moguls still in music and everything. His name's Guy Siri. Guy is a part owner of Maverick, manages Madonna, he uh, created Board Ape Yacht Club, one of the founders of Yuga Labs, all that stuff. And I can't even imagine Uber, like so many different things. I gravitated to him because he was always down to hip hop. He was throwing parties. He didn't come from like Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills. And he was just like, a, you know, he was a Jewish kid, but he was like, it was a trip. And half my family was Jewish. So it was like, a, it was like a weird thing that was going on in my family. And me and Guy were always cool when he said he was going to start a record label. There was a, at the time, Madonna was the biggest star in the world, female wise. She was mm. enormous. Her manager, Freddie DeMann, he, his daughter went to our high school. So like he became really good friends with her. Later on met, ended up being a big dude. Guy, straight out of high school, had like three groups. One group was a Beverly Hills West Side rap group called Proper Grounds. Then he had a group called The Rentals. And then he had two guys, one group that was fucking, they're, they're legendary, the Deftones, like mm, legendary yeah. rock band. But he found this girl named Alanis Morissette. And she sold fucking like 30, mm -hmm. 40 million records. And just off signing her alone, he became filthy rich. And to this day, I know Guy, you know, Guy's still killing it and everything. But I think I made so many connections there. You know, when I got kicked out, I was like, fuck, what am I going to do? Like, my only chance is to play ball. I ended up transferring. Thank God I was um, all city, all CIF, all state. I didn't make All-American. But I was good enough to wear, 
you know, I had 11 touchdowns my sophomore year. Then my junior year, I had 17 touchdowns, which is a record. And uh, I was a wide receiver and a free safety. I had fucked up so much. I got kicked out of my school in junior year, my new school, that I had to move to this small little tiny area. How'd you get kicked out of this school as a junior? What did you do this time? It was everything you could think of. Smoking weed, you name it, just all that shit. Hmm. Now, the eligibility for the NCAA was 2.0, 800 SAT score. I did pretty bad in the SAT, bro. I got like a 1060, which in my family was like disgraceful. Mm-hmm. I ended up getting um, a 1300 after that. And when you when the score jumps up 200 points, now you know they do a review because that's too high. Even if you're going through you know all the the programs and stuff. Anyways, I was beyond academically available. I think I fit, I ended up graduating high school with like a 2.7, which was a disgrace because my brother was like a 4.9 and my sister was like a 4.2. I didn't get to play football my senior year in high school at this small little town called Albany in California. It was just an outskirts suburb of Berkeley. My brother was going to school at Cal. I still ended up getting a scholarship at Cal. Now, I didn't want to leave the Bay Area. I didn't want to leave LA. And I begged my family. I was like, please, like, look, you have no other chance. What the fuck are you going to do? We just want you to go to school. My dad had the dean of of, of the Asian studies at UCLA write me a letter of recommendation. We were willing to pay, you know, my dad had a certain fee. I think it would have been like 700 bucks a semester. So it would have been like $1,400 a year, which is insane for UCLA. I think UCLA is yeah. probably 20 something thousand now, but it was amazing. I was going to walk on to the football team. I had a guaranteed preferred walk on. I couldn't even get into UCLA because like 900,000 applicants that had 4.0s were Asian. You know, I know this affirmative action thing is really big yeah. right now. But that's the real thing. If you go to the UC system school, you know, right now, it's like, I'm not joking you. I would say if you gathered all the UC system schools right now, it would be at least 72% Asian. It's that ridiculously Mm. high. And they're turning away millions of people. So yeah, man, you know, I end up uh, playing ball. Um, I always say if I never went to college, I'd probably be, I would have been a multimillionaire early. My boy Guy had offered me a job. When I finally finished school, you know, I connected with some people, got back in the scene. I feel like I was four years late now. My boy already blew up. He's got a couple bands. A lot of more sets about to come out. He's getting things going. And I hit him up and he's like, hey, what's up, dude? How you doing, bro? Hey, I got to go, man. I'll talk to you later. Kind of shined me, you know what I'm saying? Just kind of yeah. just, just wrote me off. And I always kind of resented that. But at the same time, like, I might I probably would have did the same thing. Like, he was doing big things. I was, yeah. you know, trying to play ball. Thought about trying to go play pro in the overseas. Didn't even last 30 days. It was in Beijing. It was like, fuck this. Mm. I couldn't live here. You tried? You yeah. went? Yeah. And so uh, even, why didn't you like Beijing though? Oh, bro. Look, Beijing today, I'll never go back to. Imagine Beijing in 94. Hmm. Like, I'm being serious. Like, it was like, you could eat breakfast there for like eight cents. That, that's all I need to say. Like, I'm just trying to let you know, like the soup and this. It just wasn't where I was. I was in Beijing last five years ago. And I said to myself, I'll never come back here ever again. I remember being stuck in traffic for three and a half hours to go 32 miles. Yikes. And then I asked them to get me a helicopter. I was like, I can't be in this dude. I can't be in this this sprinter. You got to get me a helicopter. I don't give how much it costs. I ended up, was able to, to, to get out, get to my destination in 22 minutes. Everyone else that was stuck there, and I won't name their names because it's fucked up, and mm. some of these guys own famous clothing brands. You're not ready for this. Where are you from? Ventura. Where are you from? Here. 
LA. Okay. So think about it. Say you exit Highland. Next exit's uh, Universal or Barham. Exit after that is Ventura. Exit after that is Vineland, Laurel Canyon, Coldwater Canyon, Woodman, Van Nuys, Sepulveda, Haskell. Dude, good memory, man. I'm That's, just thinking, yeah, just think yeah, about yeah, the streets, yeah, right? You're okay. hitting them all. Exits in China were like 10 and a half miles. Mind you, it was an hour to get, you know, a mile and a half. These guys who didn't get with me in the helicopter had a nine and a half hour drive back. They dude missed the exit and it was a 10 mile thing. They'd make a U-turn. These guys were Snapchatting while they would take off, walk to an exit, seven, eight miles, get cigarettes, get a drink, whatever, boom, find whatever they could, oh, come man. back and the car moved like half a mile. Like shit like that. Like it was crazy. Why is traffic so bad? It's, it's just, just been terrible. And you know, everything's controlled by the government. So like yeah. on certain days, white cars can drive. Certain days, license plate just depends. No. So really rich people have different color cars and different license plates and like that. But anyways, you know, I came back, yeah. was able to meet Denzel Washington, was able to connect with some other people, got a job, got in a music business. How do you connect with these people and get a job like that? So from being in high school at Beverly, there was a radio station at Beverly called KBEV. What's crazy is dude, Mike Karen ran the label. Mike Karen today is probably one of the most powerful people in music still. He's the president of Atlantic Records. I can't even begin to tell you how many, but he's enormous. And he's been there since, you know, back then. And this radio station produced, you know, some major shit. And it was a weird thing. She's like, Beverly Hills, man, fuck that. But there was a group that was signed to Soul Assassin. Soul Assassin was Cypress Hill. And Cypress Hill was yeah. huge. House of Pain was fucking huge. Funk Dubious was huge at this time. There are a group called the Hooligans. Hooligans consisted of two people. Well, three, a DJ. But Alchemist, my boy Alan, who still to this day is one of the most prominent, probably one of the most prolific producers in hip-hop history. And a dude named Scott Kahn. Yes, his dad, James Kahn. Late, great James Kahn. One of the most famous actors in the world. They were in a rap group together and they were killing it. And so there was like a buzz going on on the West side. So there was this club that we had in Hollywood that my boy Nick Adler, my boy Dave Faustino, who at the time had the number one TV show on Dave the Faustino, earth. I yeah. love him, man. So Mary with yeah. Chill was the number one show in the world. Not only was it the number one show in the world, even after that, it was the longest running syndicated show in the world. So residual checks were just insane for him. So Dave Faustino, my boy Dan Eisenstein went to Beverly with me. My boy Nick went to Beverly for a little bit. My best friend of my life is Dallas, my godfather. They created a club called Ballistics. And they're still making a documentary about it. I don't know what's going on with it. I filmed for it. But this club had Easy e Exhibit, Will, Will, I, you know, Will I Am was Will One X back then, NWA, countless hip-hop dudes that were going to this club at the Whiskey mm -hmm. A Go-Go. So I met all these people there. Nick Adler told me that his dad was going to be a small investor in this restaurant, a Jamaican restaurant called Creek Alley on Melrose. And um, he couldn't really plug me the way he wanted to, but... Mm -hmm. He can give me some ideas. I saw Denzel Washington on Melrose Avenue walking out of Georgia, the other restaurant that he owned. And um, it's right there on Martell. Well, Alta Vista and Mar So it's literally right down the street yeah. from here. He's on Melrose walking and his car is parked in front of Spike Lee's store, which obviously at the time, Malcolm X was one of the biggest movies in the world. Walking out of the, the, the Spike Lee store, um, 40 Acres and a Mule. And I've been waiting for him. And I had a tape. I was like, yo, here's my tape. Listen to my tape. A week later... The assistant Tish calls me a call and I get a job there. From there, the rest is history. What I was made, on the tape? My mixtape. I want a DJ at his, yeah. at his restaurant. And he's like, we don't do DJs. I was like, no, in New York, that's the style. Let me set the vibe. Let me do it for $100 a night, yeah. which was way under like, you know, I was like, look, I'll work seven nights a week. I'll set the music up. I'll play jazz. I'll play vibes. I'll play this, this, and this. There's a point in time where it got a little too hoodie felt like because it was like a really upscale place. And it was the only, it was amazing drinking food. 
I met Tupac there. I met I DJ Jada Pinkett's birthday there. I um, met NFL stars. I met tons of NBA mm-hmm. players. I met Dr. Dre there and got my job from him there. I met Suge. What was that like meeting Dr. Dre? How did I that met him like be? I met him like yeah. seven times. And I've told this story several times. Yeah. He would frequent Creek Alley. He loved this place. And he always sit at the bar. So many girls there, this and that. And the DJ booth was on the top of the restaurant so I could see everything. And one night, Denzel, Nick Adler's dad, all the owners of the restaurant went on a private jet to go watch Oscar De La Hoya fight. And they told me, I said, no fucking hip hop tonight. No fucking, I'm going to shoot this bitch here, this, that, and the third. And I was like, yeah, don't worry about it. It's all good. My boy Grant was the manager. Mm-hmm. I was like, Grant, I will give you everything I have. I'll give you some Coke. I'll give you anything, bro. Please let me do my thing tonight. And he's like, what? <laughs> I think he was like talking to five different girls at the time. He's like, yeah, yeah. do whatever the fuck you want. I don't give a fuck. All the TVs in there. It was a sports bar too. Yeah. I turned all the TVs to black exploitation films. The Mac, fucking, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, 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 Shaft, all the crazy movies. Yeah. Dre gets there early, like 9.45. This place jumps off at like 11.30. Remember, LA, last calls early. Mm-hmm. I start vibing out all 70s, 60s, James Brown, 70s, start going through 80s. I get to, you know, and it's mid-90s. Mm-hmm. So I get to the late 80s. I'm starting to kind of dabble in the hip-hop classic shit, more East Coast stuff. I go down to get a drink, and I get a drink where he's sitting instead of going to the, where I'm like opposite end. Yeah. And I know he's going to talk to me because I'm fucking murdering this place. And um, never forget, so crazy, a dude named Arthur was a bartender. I was like, hey, Arthur, man. Let me get a Long Island iced tea. I had heard through people that that was Dr. Dre's favorite drink. Mm. I think to this day it still is. So Dre is like probably about as far as he is. And he goes, and Dre and my brother are born in the same year. He's like, hey, youngster, what you know about that music, man? And I was like, fuck you mean I grew up on that shit. He was blown away that the Asian yeah. dude had known so much <laughs> about hip hop and stuff. And I was born and raised yeah. in the hood and everything. So we started talking. He's like, all right, man. He's like, you fucking my mind up right now. And I was like, oh, we ain't even got started yet. Now 1130, I have it cracking in there like everyone their mother, you know. A week later, he pages me. I end up at Can-Am Studios, Death Row Studios. You know what I mean? Start working with them. What were you doing with them at the time? Scratches, inserts, bringing breaks. Breaks are like samples and music and stuff like that, going through things, whatever, boom. So is a scratch like a like an actual like, ir- ir- yeah. like that type of so like literally there wasn't like there's not the, yeah. the things that are going on now you know what I mean I'd, I'd scratch like choop, choop, fuck you you know what I mean I'd be like, like wow hell no you know whatever it was just scratching yeah. doing inserts and stuff and like really to tell you the truth almost any DJ that was decent could do that but if you vibe well you know like why not put somebody on how many how easy is it for an extra to say hey not even saying like one line and they they get their SAG card right for acting whatever it can be so easy like oh yeah. just walk on a bus how fucking hard is that for you to do. You know, like Brad Pitt, he worked at fucking El Pollo Loco, handing out flyers. I mean, any which is about who you connect, you're connected to, right? I was lucky. I was there. And then that led to a job at Priority Records. In two years, I was vice president. And then there, left there. We had Jay-Z, did Jay-Z's first album, did all masterpiece shit. Ice Cube was huge. Left, started off with Entertainment with Dre. And when you do these jobs with these artists, what exactly is your role in them? Are you giving feedback to uh, like you know on a music level yeah so A&R means artist and repertoire yeah back in the day prior to my time now I can't even what the fucking A&R does now A&R is a full spectrum no. you don't just go find the talent you groom them you can actually play an instrument you understand and I was a DJ I was in the music mm-hmm. 
You're going to the studio. You're listening to sounds. You're part of the marketing plan. You have the whole vision to sales everything. Now there's 360 deals. Back in the day, labels could never touch your tour money, could never touch your merch money, this, that, whatever. It's all connected. Mm. You know, it was different times then, publishing, whatever. So I was coming up with marketing plans. I was coming up with styles, coming up with who to collab with, do certain things. It would be different things for everyone. You know, on Jay-Z's album, I had connected with the only R&B group that we had at the, at the label. That was a group on their mind. I connected writers. I would do everything you could think of. I was literally putting everything together. Damn near a manager in a way. Yeah. I was that connected to these groups. And I was so passionate about it that I fell in love with every group that I was, I was representing. How was the money on something like that? For me to make six figures in the early 90s at, you know, fucking 24 years old, yeah. like, like, that's insane. You know yeah. what I'm saying? 23, I was the youngest vice president of the company. Like, that was crazy to drive a Lexus to live in a balling ass fucking apartment building. I lived in uh, on a broadcast center. I lived on top of Erewhon Market. Sure. And this is when Erewhon's don't know. Oh, Erewhon's so cool. And that motherfucker, I was going to Erewhon in fucking the 90s. Tupac lived in my building. How much fucking cooler is that? Yeah. Russell Simmons, Tupac, Bone, um, one of the Bone Thugs dude lived in my building. Sally Richardson was a really famous black actress back then. I had a lit ass life. The only thing was I was living way beyond my means. And I really appreciate the fact that I went so fucking hard and lost all that money. I went I went broke three times before I turned 30. How much were you spending? It wasn't that. It was just yeah. like, you know, you don't understand taxes. You don't understand this. You're uh, like, all right, yeah. fuck this. You know, <laughs> all right, I'm going to claim three. I don't have no kids. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm going to take three or four deductions. No. You know, boom, whatever. So just were, doing stupid shit. Were you ever audited then? Yeah, yeah, of course. What is that like? I mean, you just go through stupid shit. You know, you're just like, it's just dumb. You owe the IRS money here and boom. And But again, that's small potatoes. You know, it's like, this is nothing. It was like, you know, and then, yeah. you know, I was DJing, so I had cash money and I had this and just, it wasn't until around 2001 or 2002 where I started finally having like five grand in the bank, six grand, started saving money. And then finally, you know, 2004, I became a millionaire and not from any kind of work, from fucking selling sneakers, from a hobby that I had that was a passion again, you know. So explain this, how you made a million dollars selling sneakers. So you're collecting these sneakers over time and then you sold the collection? So I've been a sneakerhead since the 80s. Even when I was getting arrested at Sears, I was always wanted to be a fresh sneakers. Around my time at the record label, I started to collect sneakers. So in the mid-90s, I was collecting sneakers. Throughout that time, I was collecting rare sneakers that weren't being reproduced. They barely started retroing Jordans. Around 2002, I got a marketing job with Nike. I mean, already had been deep in the sneaker community. Now it's Discord, but back then it was forums. Mm. You know, and I was a heavily part of a world famous legendary forum called Nike Talk. And I just created this buzz and I was doing all these things and I was planting force marketing that people didn't realize I was doing this shit. And I get crazy rare shoes. A couple pairs of the shoes that I sold for like 20 grand. I was like, damn, I got 20 grand for a pair of shoes in 04. Million dollars a pair right now. You know, like stupid shit. I exited the sneaker game early. I had a fallen out with Nike. My shoe was supposed to come out. It was going to be a Nike Terminator. I was super excited. Didn't work out. Didn't happen. I said, fuck Nike. Fuck them. I didn't wear Nikes for eight years. I only wore Vans and Adidas and everything else. I was that. And it was to the point where they were telling people from high-end Nike accounts, hey, if Ben Baller's at your store and promoting this on the internet, we're going to pull your Nike account. That's how much drama there was. Funny thing is, they ended up sending me the most rarest pair of Yeezys when no one can get a pair to like as a good faith, like, hey, we've changed, sure. you know, blah, blah, whatever. But anyways, I ended up selling all the shoes they gave me, all the shoes I collected. It was about 1,800 pairs of sneakers. 
And it was two different auctions, one for $2.9 million, another one for like three hundred thirty. It was like $3.2 million I made off my so, sneaker collection. Two questions. One, where do you store 1,800 pairs of shoes? And then two, why sell? So I had three-bedroom apartment in Sherman Oaks, California, right by Whole Foods. Never forget this place. My boy, Methamphibian, who we had a sneaker customization company with, lived there. And we just stacked them on top like a fucking warehouse. It was like crazy. <laughs> And I remember my boy, we had a crew called Air Max Crew. Me, DJ Am, rest in peace, was one of the most famous DJs yeah, ever. Yeah. Spawned the career of so many people. And DJ Homicide, who was in a rock band called Sugar Ray. And he'd been killing it. Each of us all had 600 pairs of shoes. I just went mental. And at a certain point, each one of our parents were like, you know, 100 pairs of shoes is a lot of pairs of shoes. 300, 400 pairs is ridiculous, right? At five, 600, you know, maybe something's wrong with you. Like seriously, people think mm. something's well, off with you at 1800 bro I can't even you know we can't even talk about that right so um, would you wear these shoes or did you just I buy them I wore some did you, if I didn't like many? a pair of shoes I would buy two three pairs if I loved them I had five pairs no way yeah did you think these would be an investment or you just yeah, liked yeah I knew immediately yeah. I knew immediately I knew why just because they were so hard to get the demand was crazy when I was typing Nike Dunk on eBay yeah. in the early 2000s like 2001 2000 whatever you would see 47 fucking results. And out of 47, maybe seven were actually real dunk results. If you do it now, there might be something millions. Like I was yeah. early in the game. And I didn't want to fucking, why would I want to hold Nike? How do you know man. it wasn't going to be like a bubble where like maybe for like a few years someone was going to be- That was the only thing I was like, a sure thing about. Really? I was a sure thing. I was a, very, I was a huge advocate for that. I started like these rooms called stock room picks and this and that and the reselling shit. Like I was literally like the, at the forefront of it. You know, I was a pioneer in that whole game. And all the OG people who are still alive in this, you know, re sneaker resale space, like, they're like, damn, man, you got out at a great time. I wish I got out around 06, 07. Sure. I got out a little too early. Would that have been worth had you just waited a few years? You could have never told me because I, I never, I never had a million dollars before, yeah. you know? Like, that was a big deal for me, you know? So, um, do you think, though, if you waited, you might have like three million bucks or like four? Well, I had 3.2. Yeah. I would have had eight if I waited to 06. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Been a huge difference. Yeah. I was going through a lot of my life at that sure. point. It was the first time I was ever engaged in my life. I think I've always been the same person, but that enhanced, you know, having money. I remember going to the ATM and I remember at the time, $500 is the most you could take out of an ATM. Uh. I would take out $500 every single day and I thought that was a big deal for me. I was like, oh, fuck this. Who cares, man? Let's go have fun, blah, blah, blah. See a chick, like, fuck that. I got you. Don't worry about it. Drinks, I got it. Boom, whatever. It just, you know. Just being hood rich, being stupid. Yeah. And that's after you got the 3.2 million. Yeah, I had a Ferrari, you know what I'm saying? Had so you bought a Ferrari? Yeah. What, what Ferrari? I bought a 360 Challenge Stradali. Oh, no way. Yeah, in real time too. So that was like, oh, oh. that was crazy. Yeah. And that must have been when the car just came out? Just came out. I love that car. Yeah. Of that money, did you think like, hey, I got to invest this, I got to play it smart? Or was it like, this is so much compared to what I ever thought I would make? Let's well, I knew at it. that point I was good for a little bit at least. Yeah. And pretty early on, the engagement was called off. I got caught cheating, and she didn't even catch me, if that makes any sense. She was so tied into me, and she was in fucking Germany. She's a supermodel, and she'd call me like at midnight or like 11 p.m. when she'd waken up for a shoot, and one night I didn't pick up the phone, and she just knew. And we were that we were that aligned, and I think she just knew I was I was with, I was out with little John, at a party, whatever. Boom, end up going to Vegas, and um, she felt the vibe off. And I think she was also going through some shit. Mm -hmm. In a way, it was a it was a great fucking thing that happened. I don't think I was ready to get married in that anyway. So, 
Um, at that point, I traveled the world. And that's when I knew that like seeing the world and become more worldly, that's when I knew that I didn't need a lot of money to just really soak up a lot of game. And then came back, was like, all right, I need to figure something out because I can't do this forever. And that's when I transitioned and and pivoted into jewelry. I got a question about the cheating, if you're cool to answer about it. Yeah, go ahead. So what was your, how did you rationalize getting with somebody else when you had a fiance at the time? Did you think, oh, I could just not get away? Nah, you know what? it? It was funny. I'll tell you this right now. I never really worried about cheating because I never really stayed with the girl long enough. You know, that was the longest relationship I've been to my entire life. How long were you with her? Two and a half years, maybe. Mm -hmm. That was a long time for me. And she was so beautiful. And I think everything else was so right that I was so in love with her mentally and everything else. I think her being away so much to Europe and all this other shit and gone, I just got horny. It was simple as that. And it didn't really mean anything. But did you think, oh, she's going to find out? It's going to cause complications? Or did you just not? I I had zero. Didn't think twice about it. I was like, fuck this. This is going down. Why why get engaged at that point though? Like, isn't it better just not get engaged? I thought I was like, ready. I was, I was I thought this was a good but thing. But then it just, you know, impulses came up and you just Yeah. It was just you know, again, look, if I think about who I was at 31 and who I am tonight now, that was 20 years ago. Yeah. Right, of course, of course. You know. I was a fucking that was that was stupid as shit. Did 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 you think about her when making this decision to sleep with this other person, or were you just like, no, this is? She was in the back of my mind for sure, in the back of your mind, and especially when the phone rang. When the phone rang, I'm, I'll never forget. We had two yeah. phones, and one phone, we, me and her had a phone together, the Sprint phone, yeah. and I'll never forget this silver little flip phone. And when the phone rang, I was like, motherfucker, I was like, damn. And I remember, like, I went to bed, I woke up, it was like maybe nine a.m. So that's what, like. 6 p.m. their time, and I called. She's like, hey, what's up? She was already weird. I went to go visit her mom, drove to her mom's house, and I was like, damn, man, I miss her so much, you know, blah, blah, whatever, this and that. And she's like, yeah, it's crazy. And then a door opened up, and she flew into L.A. without telling me and stayed at her mom's house. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, what the fuck's going on? And I was like, oh, my God, I was so shocked. Mm. I took her, I was like, let's go get some food, you know, boom, went to fucking Marina Del Rey to get some food. We were talking, and then she was trying to tell me that things ain't going to work out. I didn't understand. I'm like, we live together. Like, what the fuck's going on? You just went to your mom's, like, you're staying there. It was weird. And it was like a weird vibe, and I really still couldn't get it. Hmm. And then I remember um, at a Porsche 911 at the time, I pulled over in the middle of the road, and I was like, yo, are you trying to say, you like, that's it? And she's like, I'm trying to say, yeah, that's it. And at the time... What was crazy was she had fallen in love with another dude, like an older man. Mm. Cause I know her well enough to know like she was dressing slightly different. She was rocking Cartier stuff, which she had money, but it was like, it was weird. And I was like, wait a minute. And then I was like, all right, it's time to go. So I went through a pretty, I was was sad cause it was my fault. I felt bad. And the fucked up part about it is I never admitted that something was wrong. I just, you know what I'm saying? She never knew. Yeah. Funny part about it was when me and my wife first started dating 14, 13, 14 years ago, I ran into her and I felt obligated to say something. And then um, it was awkward. I was having dinner with my brother, my sister, my dad, my wife. And I think the two boys were alive. That was it. She was in the same Korean restaurant with three friends of mine, 
my boy Jerry Lorenzo, who owns Fear of God. It was a really small circle, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Another guy I knew, and then her husband and her kids. It was like a really weird wow. thing. She walks over, gives my dad a big hug, gives my sister a big hug, gives my brother a hug. Da 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 da. My family's like, why would they have a problem with her? Because it was me being super right. Mm-hmm. My wife had kind of known. My wife was real weird about it. So it was like a weird thing. So I was like, ah, fuck it. It is what it is. Sure. Yeah. So did you admit later and say, hey, I screwed up? I did. I told her like, yeah. you know, I told her like, I was, I was like, hey, listen, I just want you to know. Do you remember that night you called me? And she's like, yeah. I was fucking some stupid ass bitch in, in Vegas. And she was like, I know you was doing something off. And at that point, though, at that point, it was already in my mind. I was already like, yeah. you weren't the one. And I was like, she was the one for me, as fucked up as that sounds. But yeah, it was the one. So hmm. it is what it is. So how did that lead then to you getting into jewelry? I was thinking about opening up a small little random one-stop shop, barber shop, buy some cool books, maybe get a couple pairs of cool sneakers, but like basics, like white on white Air Force Ones. Yeah. It was like a just essential things, white tees, certain things. Are you coming in town? All right, boom. This was like a um, a destination store. Sure. Like think about going to LAX or going to JFK or whatever, boom, but like, no, go here. You're going to get a haircut. You can get some cool little trinkets, get some white tees. And Ben Baller owns it with, you know, people. So I thought about that. Thought I'd be a few other things. And I was like, nah, that ain't going to work. I had an exotic car, like really unorthodox exotic car rental thing that I was doing. And then my cousin hit me up. And I asked him, I said, what kind of money is Joy making? At the time, he had a Corvette. He had like put all this money into it. He was killing it. We had been always talking about Joy. Anytime I needed jewelry, I'd get it from him. I had a long talk with him and his dad and then. Start a jewelry business. How do you just start a jewelry business? Like, well, they're only jewelers. But how do you even know like what looks good and what what's? In I always had an eye for yeah. jewelry. You know what I mean? Okay. And I was like, hey, listen, you guys are jewelers, and I just know what's what. You know what 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 looks right. I was like, about this. Nah, that ain't cool. I was like, no, motherfucker, you don't get it. I'm gonna make this cool. I'll bring this back. This is lit. You motherfuckers weren't you while you guys were out golfing and doing other shit. You were not in the streets like me. You know what the real hood shit is. I'm talking about universally what we could do. Yeah, yeah, sure, whatever. Next thing you know, like Mariah Carey, Travis Barker, like, you know, the game, Nas. I was just sort of gathering big names. How do they find you? I was in the music business. So, you know, I would start reaching yeah. out to people. My boy was dating Mariah Carey at the time. He produced her album. It's crazy because he was going through it. He's just, he just finished his divorce. It's like six months before me. And it's like a crazy thing. But um, Mariah Carey is enormous. She's, you know, going to be top three biggest female stars ever in history, right? So, like, that was a big plug. So how does it work? Do you make something specific for them? Do you yeah, yeah, of get, course. She just, got an MC chain, her logo, her Mariah do you, Carey. Do you give it to them at that point? Because them wearing it, like Mariah Carey yeah, wears Yeah, you know, like I was good. Like, I was one of the people that was really good at doing very little promo. Yeah. Like I wasn't going to just comp motherfuckers 25,000, 30, 40,000. I was able to just build this brand out of the hood and like get people attracted to it. And I built hype and I built a marketing right. thing behind it. So who was the first famous person to take a chance on you and say, you know what, I'm going to buy something from Ben Baller? Travis Barker. Travis Barker? Yeah. And how did you get connected with him? Was it just mutual? I've, I've, I've known Travis forever, yeah. He was in a, him and DJM were in a group together, you know? Okay. So Travis, and you know, whatever, and just, we were always, I've known Travis forever. So what was the piece you made for him? It was just grills. It was grills. The first chain I made for a famous person was Fat Joe. And Fat Joe was always known for jewelry. He was yeah. always here and there, whatever, boom. He introduced me to so many other people. Then the game... Then the game made his fucking song about double game change, you know what I'm saying, on his second album, his sophomore album that was enormous. It still went, you know, two or three times platinum. And it just 
literally steamrolled from there. And how much, what's a, what's a profit margin on something like that? Like how much does it cost to make, what's the time involved in like the It depends. I was able and, to make a chain in like yeah. three weeks to a month, which is like really fast. I can make a chain in 10 days if I needed to yeah. scientifically like get one, but it was just, I didn't want to put myself through that stress. And I have for deadlines for TV shows and stuff. But let, let's say for instance, if I'm going to charge somebody 50K for a chain back then, I would say my profit and me and my cousin will split it 50, 50, mm. I would say like maybe like, 10 to 12,000. Okay. So it was a pretty good profit margin. You know what I'm saying? Like now, if I make a chain for 50K today, I'd have to take at least 10 or 15 just by myself. Sure. Because it's my name alone. Right. So like when I was doing minimums for like 200,000, 250, whatever, some people wouldn't have an idea for a chain that was, that was going to cost more than 60, 70K. Mm-hmm. So that right there, you got to give me 160 just because my name's on it. Yeah. How you did know? you connect with people like Justin Bieber? Justin reached out to me through, I kind of feel Sean Kingston or somebody. Someone reached out to me and said, hey, man, yeah. Justin B wants to meet you. And that was a long time ago, bro. This was a long time yeah. ago. And the funny thing was Justin had like a, like a low-key crush on my wife. And at the time, a lot of people were Googling Asian Kim Kardashian. And a lot of people even said, even, I remember me and my wife were going to the Polo Lounge in Beverly Hills. And I ran into Kim. Kim just finished having a gym. Yeah. She's like, hey, what's up? Blah, blah. And then Kim was like, oh, this is your girlfriend? I was like, yeah, boom. Kim had told Rob, her brother, I was like, Ben's girlfriend looks fucking a lot like me. And it was like a weird thing, you yeah. know? So then I remember a studio engineer told me, he was like, yo, when, Justin, when you left, Justin Googled Asian Congratulations to find out your name. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's not a good thing, right? <laughs> but yeah, me and Justin just connected. I ended up making grills for him for the first time. Yeah. And then we just end up, I mean, I took Justin to Korea for the first time. Like, we've always been cool. Yeah. Been friends with Justin for 11, 12 years, I think, or something like that. Yeah. We've been cool for a while. So I'm curious, when people mention you in uh, their lyrics, like Ferg is the name, Ben Baller did the change, do they reach out to you ahead of time and no. say, ask, it just shows up one day and you're surprised? First time I heard Plain, I heard Plain Jane was like in January 2016, 2017, sorry. The song didn't even scorch until like summer, mid-summer 2017. By October, it was like already major platinum. Yeah. And like, it's one of what, four songs in hip hop history, in rap history, sorry. It's one of the only four rap songs that gone diamond, 10 million sold. So I'm like, whoa. Like to this day, you go to any nightclub, that song's being played no matter yeah. what. I don't give a fuck if you're in Tuscaloosa. You could be anywhere. I was in Shanghai and that shit was playing. And I was like, what wow. was your initial reaction to that? I was like, all right, cool, whatever, no big <laughs> song. It blew up and got caught, it got yeah. catchy. I still, even when it was starting to get hot in the summer, I was like, eh, you know, whatever, cool. Eh, cool, whatever, no big deal. When it became, that big and it was like monotonous i was like oh shit this is big turned into a brand name you know how did that impact business afterwards because for me that's one of the most recognizable lyrics of that song yeah it it took things to a whole different level i i I skyrocketed after that so like who reaches out to you afterwards everyone you could think of really yeah and then how do you pick who to because you obviously don't have the capacity to give it no i just pick you know whatever random people here and there it was cool it was it was a good run it was a good run it's still, you know, yeah. it still trickles off now, you know. You mentioned that you're friends with people like Justin Bieber. I mean, you went to Shanghai with him. How do you... Korea. Or Korea, sorry. Why do you go or how do you go from like a business type relationship to an actual friendship type relationship with these people? I think that just happened organically, you know what I mean? He just wanted to, he just fucked with me, you know? Like he was, he just knew like I was a big, I was older than his dad by a year. I'm older than, his, than Jeremy by a year. Um, I just think that he thought I was wise. I was cool, had a lot of style and um, trusted me. He was going to Korea same time I was and I was like 
all right, pull up on me. Sure enough, he pulls up. I'm like, hey, bro, you got to chill the fuck out. You way too wild right now. You know, like it was a trip. But, you know, we've just always been cool. And then, you know, he started golfing not that long ago. I started golfing pretty recently. He's actually been golfing way longer than me, but he got the bug again. And we started golfing and stuff. And um, I think either I click with you or I don't. Hmm. Like ASAP Rocky, like we clicked, you know, off top. And certain people click and I own a company with, with, with Rocky. And, you know, you just... Uh, Again, if alignment, hmm. you know. How seriously do you take marketing in terms of your own name and business? You've, you've built a, seri- a brand I don't around think, yourself. I don't think you could take it more serious than I take it, honestly. And what do you do specifically? Because it seems on my end, it's very effortless, and it seems like more of a relationship-based business. It's got to be yeah. effortless because it's like golf. Yeah. The harder you try to swing the club, the shorter the ball's going to go. The distance won't go the same. I never understood that concept. Because if you punch somebody soft in the face, it's not going to land hard scientifically it won't when you hit somebody you know you you throw a ball at a, at a glass at a certain point depending on how thick the glass is you have to throw it pretty hard or there has to be a lot of ball speed and pressure yeah with golf this dude named bryson dechambeau started really breaking down the science of a ball the way you hit it you could hit it so soft and the actual club head speed meaning how hard the club how fast the club was spinning he was getting the ball to go further than people who had much higher club head speed. And now there are people who have very high club head speed, very high ball speed. But mm-hmm. I'm saying is like, it was just, it was effortless and, and you could play better golf that way if you're more relaxed. I think if I don't go out there and try so hard with marketing, if you're out chasing somebody, hey man, you're going to get a chain? Hey bro, I haven't heard from you in a few, a few weeks. You coming, you're doing it? All right, boom. You could be annoying like that in certain things where people owe you money, whatever, and it just makes things worse. And, and, and generally it does. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it works for people, sometimes it doesn't. For me, I think that's the point where I retire. I just completely just stop, do something different. You know, like if I have to chase somebody down to get a job or get something, it's like it just ain't going to work. Yeah. You know, either I think at this point, that's why I say it was like 10, 15, 20 years in the making where I am now. So as I gather along and gather all these fucking, you know, all this game and, and, and all this um, knowledge and experience, I'm only getting better as time goes by. I'm not getting worse. You know what I mean? No. I'm not getting, my memory's a little off here and there, but sure. you know, um, it would benefit you to, 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 you know what I'm saying? Fuck sure. with me on a marketing thing. Sure. Yeah. Can you say what the nicest piece of jewelry is that you've commissioned? You know, it, that's a whole, always a hard thing to say, but I think that Kid Cudi has to have the, the, he ha, he holds the, the top dog reign. Like I just think the Murakami collaboration and the cause collaboration, that these are official, actual artist pieces that are museum pieces. You can't beat that. You know, these would be forever. These would be forever. How much is something like that worth? I mean, I think his cause piece is probably up in the couple million now. It's, you know, it's, how, it's, how do you source diamonds? That's easy. Literally. I mean, that's like easy. Millions of dollars? Yeah, that's easy. Now, is it because of the cut and clarity or is it because there's so many of them? It's a combination of the cut and clarity and all that. I think the actual piece itself, it was melted down in a pawn shop. You know, it'd be like maybe five six hundred k sure but the fact it's one of the most famous street artists you know and well-known artist period you know cause has paintings that are up in the millions already you know so it's like his fan base that and everything else now this is a commission one-on-one piece this is actually in his book you know he has an artist proof of it you know takashi murakami same thing mm-hmm. you know these things are being shown in museums like this is a different level of what we're doing here so mm-hmm. that right there yeah. is a big deal now i heard you say recently i think a year ago that you said that you're doing fewer pieces now, but you're making more money overall than doing, you know, like what you were doing like five, six years ago. Well, 
I'm not doing jewelry and I haven't done jewelry in a year or so. So I'm just not doing jewelry at all. I pivoted into golf full time, you know what I mean? And podcasting. So, I mean, if there's a favor for somebody and they want me to make a ring for them, I do it. If Murakami or Cause want me to come out of retirement and make something for them, I do it. But I'm not doing jewelry anymore. Why did you decide to get out of jewelry and do golf? I had no passion in it anymore. What happened? I just just think I just, I think I just lost. I just, another thing too is, I'll be honest with you, Instagram ruined it for me. Social media ruined it for me. I think seeing all the thirsty jewelers out there just want to become famous from it. I'd rather be well known for the pieces, the quality, than being known for celebrities or whatever else. You know, I could have made fucking XYZ for literally XYZ. If they're fresh, they're fresh. They don't got to be tied to a fucking celebrity's name. You know, when I had my reality show, they were like, this show's going to be celebrity driven. And I'm like, it should be fucking character driven. And I'm the celebrity because I'm funnier than all these motherfuckers, right? Yeah. But that's cool. Let's just keep it rocking. When it finally came time to, you know, to, to be on my time and my clock, and um, I just felt like seeing where the jewelry world was going, I was like, I can't, this shit ain't for me. What direction was it going? Just you say it's mostly it's just saturated by like with bullshit. And it's just yeah, just it, it's all cloud, yeah. all this other bullshit. It's all cap. It's all bullshit. It's just literally just lies, man. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like oh, this piece was amazing. Shut the fuck up, bro. No, it's not. Man. You know what? Though, great. I'm not gonna hate on you. Go do your thing. I just didn't want to be a part of it anymore. Sure. I'm curious. How difficult was it for you to walk away from? I guess the notoriety, the money. Uh, and the fame that came along with making such high-end custom jewelry and deciding that, you know, I'm tired of it. Was that a difficult decision for you? Or were you at a point financially where it's like, hey, it doesn't make sense anymore? No, I, I, th- I think, to be honest with you, yeah. let me get brutally honest. Yeah. I think it actually hurt my marriage. Right. And, 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 it, and it created what's going on now with my life with, uh, with the, um, um, what's the fucking word? You see it when you get through the divorce. I forgot, dissimulation or whatever, or... Dissolution. Dissolution. Yeah. It had um, a decent part to do with the dissolution of my marriage, right? So um, I think uh, I truly fell out of love with it, Hmm. you know? Now, the thing is, I've never counted out and said, I'll never do it again. That's not at all. I could easily go back and come and be top dog and whatever. Um, If there's an opportunity for me to do something that makes sense, I got no problem coming back to it. But how much I fell in love with golf was like, you can't compare Like, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's so insane. you found something else that you love more, and then it's like, well, between the two, Beyond. I love doing this. I'm going to be honest. And you Beyond. saw the way that the jewelry culture was going, and you didn't really It was been associate. going to shit. It'd been going to shit. And where I see where golf is going, I was like, look, I could enter this place and change the entire landscape of golf and the stigma behind this old, rich, white country club you know, reputation hmm. and open the game up. What is it about golf? Have you ever golfed before? Graham? I have. Yeah. Well, what do you think? I'm not that athletic. And I got to oh, say, after true. 18 holes point. of golf, you are exhausted. But I'd yeah. start early. Like you get there's there no, like there's 6 a.m. There's no golf like, muscles. Yeah. So think about that. There's nothing natural about a golf swing. Yeah. So you're going to be sore regardless. Yeah. There's really no muscle memory either. I could do nine holes. And that's, and that's where you bow out. It's a <laughs> yeah. little too I much for you. Listen, I've done 18. Right. Did you have a cart or did you walk? I had a cart. It gets a lot to it now, yeah. you know? But I think one of my marketing things with my golf merch and stuff is golf will always be there for you. I wish I did it when I was 12, mm-hmm. 11, 10 with my kids, you know, how they're playing now. I wish I did it during the pandemic even. I found it so late in life. But the thing about golf is there's so many fucking parallels to actual real life. 
getting in trouble in golf, getting out of trouble. You find out so much about yourself in a golf course when you're by yourself because there's no one else to save you. There's no one else that's going to help you. You know what I mean? You cheat golf, all right, you cheat in life. You cheat, you, know, you cheat yourself. There's so many different ways of doing things. I don't like walking the course. I would say I've walked the course less than 10 times, um, mostly for a prom or a tournament, right? When you do walk a course, though, you get to think about your shots. You got to have a short-term memory in golf. You have a bad shot. If you think about that motherfucker, you're, you're fucked. You know, got to keep it moving. And I think when I turned 50, I was like, all right, the front nine was pretty decent. It was all right. There were some rocky parts. There were some good parts in there. Some double bogeys or some triple bogeys. There were some quadruple bogeys. I had an ace. I had some birdies. I had an eagle. Right, I'm on the back nine of my life now. So let's fucking go. Let's yeah. turn this up, you know. How do you find it? What do you mean? Golf. George Lopez had asked me to come to his tournament a couple times. I never really cared. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to come. Taylor Mead reached out to me. I ended up having a deal with them later. And just they all everything came together. And when I say came together, yeah. it's like imagine like playing Lego or something. Everything's just like, oh, there's oh, oh that piece is right here. Okay. Everything sure. just felt together. This might sound stupid, but when you're there by yourself, are you listening to music or is oh, it just man. like no phone, just like silence, just you and your thoughts? I think, think a lot of times, there are times where I do play music here and there, yeah. but I think I just think about my life yeah. and I go back and go about all the pain that's been happening and I think about, um, I think for most of my life, I ran from the pain and ignored it and now I'm all about, let me get the feels. Let me not sweep anything under the rug. All that shit ends up being bigger problems later, right? Like a cavity. Mm -hmm. Don't let that shit get into a root canal. Don't let that shit get into any more, more, any more serious, right? And I just think that on the golf course, I'm just sitting there just really just marinating, going over things, going over life. Like, all right. But at the same time, you can't have any of that shit in your swing thoughts. Because you're going to fucking shank the ball, chunk it, thin it, whatever. You got to be out there and really just be disciplined and be, be pure. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot, man. And what about having kids? I'm very curious because you've mentioned several times how having children has really affected the way you view life. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that, like like having your, your firstborn. How does that shift your mentality when it comes to business and motivation and like your I mean, priorities? One, it's not about you anymore. Yeah. And I think I've been selfish for most of my life. I've also been a very generous person, so it's kind of weird, right? Imagine a dude who talks a gang of shit. Like imagine Donald Trump. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to talk about left or right at all because mm. people think I'm something else than I actually am, right? As far as politically. I'm really down the middle, I think, now, right? I don't really care. I don't think Biden's a great president, whatever. We're not going to get into politics. But what I'm saying is imagine if Donald Trump was actually a really good person in general as well, though. Like he was doing a ton of charity, doing other stuff, whatever, boom. Mm. It just, with a kid, it's not about you anymore. People fail to realize that they did not ask to be, be here in the world. They are completely responsibility for at least 20 years or so, right? You have so much true responsibility. You can't leave a kid in the car. You can't do, you know what I'm saying? Certain mm -hmm. things, at least to, until like 13 or 14, yeah, right? To right. be home alone. And like, you think about, all right, well, that's another mouth to feed. Then you have a second kid. Shit. Then you have a third kid. Not only is it three mouths to feed, it's three clothing. It's this. Women, you know, girls are twice, three times the price of a boy. Tuition, shit like that. If that doesn't light a fire under your ass, I don't know what will. Because now you've put, you know, more rent, more mortgage, whatever the fuck yeah. it is, you know, so it's a lot. Schooling is expensive in L.A. Yeah. So how do you balance that? Do you just find, like, a good private school? Yeah, I mean, they've been in private school since they were born, so, yeah. Okay. 
It sucks. It's, 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 you know, I wish they could go to public school. Yeah. I wish like, you know, I mean, I thought about being in Beverly Hills and being like, you know, at least they go there, but I don't even know if I want to go to Beverly Hills. You know, I don't know, man. Is there any part of you that's worried in the sense that you've become so successful that your children have to live up to that? Nah, I'd like them to. I I tell you, I just want my kids to be happy, man. I think about it, you know, um, I don't want to put it out there like that, like it's yeah, a negative thing, but sure. like, you know, people in the family have been like, oh, your dad's rich. Like, no, we're not. I can't, I never think like, oh, I'm rich. Sure. I've never told anybody I'm rich as fuck. Yeah. Never said that before. I've done that before when I had like $10,000 in the bank. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, I've got money <laughs> done. It wasn't where I was. Yeah. I'm like, nah, bro, we all right. We do cool. Well, it's a quarter million dollar watch. But like, so what? It's for sale. You want it? Do you get what I mean? Like, I just sure. wasn't there. And I think early on, I remember driving them to school, preschool, nursery school. They get dropped off in a Ferrari, Lamborghini or something. When they started going to school, school, even my wife was like, yo, why don't you just bring the McLaren? Go to take, like, you know, fuck it. Like, these kids are flossing, their parents flossing Ferrari and stuff. Like, nah. They've never even picked up anything crazy at school. So I was just like, nah, that ain't, that ain't, I don't want that. I, I don't want that. They already, right now, for the first time now, their kids are starting to realize that their dad's popular. Mm-hmm. We're on vacation in Hawaii and we've been up on a plane. They see people ask them all the time for pictures. Yeah. I don't protect their, I'm not super proud about their life. I just don't post my house and certain things before they for go sure. to school. But like, we're walking in downtown Waikiki Beach and we just stop 40 times in an hour. They, they know their dad's like, you know, I'm not Mr. Beast, but they know what time it is, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. that's pretty cool. I mean, think about it like Drake and Bieber and all these people since they were born has been giving them birthday shout outs and doing videos and coming up to their birthday parties. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's like they kind of know. Sure. Like randomly, like two months ago, my oldest son was like, Dad, wait a second, you know Justin Bieber? I was like, yeah, of course. What do you mean? He just fucking came to your birthday. He does birthday videos for yeah. you, all that stuff. And so finally went to his Instagram page. It's like, this is you and Justin right here. He's like, oh shit. Kids are starting to really be like, oh wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Like my middle son's obsessed with Michael Jackson. I was like, daddy made all his joy last year of his life. He's like, whoa, what was Neverland like, you know? Like they're super sharp, man. You know, so that's kind of cool. That's got to be kind of cool to be able to share that with them, though. Yeah, like for sure. I had Mr. Beast. I had way, Mr. Yeah. Beast was going to do something with me for my sons. Yeah. He's, they're, they're obsessed with them as well. And I was a big. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to be honest with you. Out of every favor I could think of from a celebrity, whether it be Drake seeing at my wedding, whatever it is, mm-hmm. that was probably the hardest thing to get. That was harder than anything I've ever done in my entire life. That was harder than <laughs> anything. And I think about it now. Yeah, he's so big at this point that he could ask Apple to do something for him. That's how big yeah. it is. He's trying to do that right now with streaming platforms. His No, I mean like, like he could it. literally have a Mr. Beast app. That guy, yeah. He's that powerful. I, I think it's it, like, yeah. you know, so like, yeah. just a, it's just it's just crazy, you know? Yeah. It's crazy now that uh, the power that YouTubers have had. At this point, sure. I wouldn't even consider Mr. Beast a YouTuber. No, he's just I mean, mainstream he's just celebrity. Yeah. 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 And I'm not a huge fan of YouTube, Gosh. but yeah. My kids are. Have you found, though, that after having kids, maybe you've been safer in your own life and more conservative in terms of, like, your investments and what you spend and, like, you Definitely know, career Definitely more choices. sure, I think. Yeah. I think not even in, in, the, in, even in the political term. If you really uh-huh. think about having kids, how do you not think conservatively? And I mean that in all aspects of the term, mm. of the definition of, of, of conservative. Yeah. Even from being a Republican, being whatever, just as far as like what you want for your children and stuff, right? Um, and again, I'm not a political person at sure. all. I have been ultra cautious about what it is. So you know, if someone sees me spending a bunch of money here, know that 
either someone paid for that or there was a lot saved to fuck off that one little thing here and there, you know? I wasn't those dudes in the pandemic was like, look, fuck this. I never might see outside again. We're going to spend all our money. Mm -hmm. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? But um, financially, last year was a bad year for me. And no one would ever know it unless I'm telling you now, you know? But I think also me pivoting into a whole different world, it's going to take a little time. I've never been a patient person. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to start a company. All right, two weeks gone by. All right, are we a billion dollar company yet? Not? What the fuck's going on? You know, like I understand it takes some time. And even what I'm doing with golf, yeah. what I've done in a year and some change, people don't do in seven years. Yeah. So why was last year a bad year financially? Because I completely stopped making jewelry. The jewelry was the sole driver of your income? Yeah, because or at that point, that was like, I'm just saying like it, it's, it's a lot of money. Even jobs based off my jewelry was getting me jewelry. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. whether it be a sponsor with a, with a brand, they want to tie it to some jewelry thing. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I was like, let me just. Did you reach like a net worth or something where you could say, I'm comfortable walking away from this that, you know, no matter what I, I now I have the freedom to do whatever I want to do in life. I think a few years ago I did. Okay. And then it wasn't like, it wasn't enough because of what's going on now. Do you know what yeah, I mean? You realize sure. it's like, you know, I mean, honestly, yeah. you know, I thought I'd be married forever. So that's also a weird thing. But at the same time, I've never spoke about this because it's still so fresh and new. I have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? The ink isn't dry yet. I have no idea. And I'm not even opening a possibility because my mind is not there. But I never know what's going to happen because the last two and a half, three months have been so fucking insane that who knows, you know, what happened. If that's insane there, you know, what happens now? I don't know. At what point did you decide to go through also with losing, losing weight? What fed into that? May, June last year, yeah. I was like, look, I got 214 during the pandemic. And I just, this is just not it. And I think also at a certain point, again, my wife was like, yellow man, your belly is too fucking big, man. <laughs> this is like, this ain't sexy, this ain't this. Yeah. And she was like, can you just one time before, you know, blah, blah, whatever. And I think she was a big driver to it. But I think about like what's going through my life right now. If I was 200 something right now, I would be probably in a way, way worse place. Fact that I feel great, that I'm walking on the course and I'm slim, I can take my shirt off and I'm like not tripping. Like when I was in Hawaii, like two months ago or so, mm-hmm. like I, I just feel great, slim. You know, like I was like, look, this is really where I need to be. Yeah. How'd you, you know? do it? Intermittent fasting, straight up, just intermittent really? fasting. So I've heard schedule a lot of like, about that. I was doing um, 14 10, and I stuck with that for a while. I'm at 12 12 now. What does 14 10 mean? 14 hours, I do not eat nothing. Mm. 10 hours, I eat. So pretty much, let's say, for instance, 8 p.m. is my last meal. After that, I can only have water or tea. Nothing that would break a fast. And then my first meal would be at 10 a.m. the next day. Mm -hmm. So at 10 a.m., I have my coffee with milk, with sugar, with cream, whatever the fuck it is. Mm. Have a bagel, have a pizza for lunch, have a burger, have steak, have french fries, have some candy, drink soda all day long. 8 p.m., it's got to stop. I kept that and I couldn't believe yeah. it. Now the thing is, it come, it's very slow. You might not see any results for like four or five months. Whereas I could do a fucking Atkins or you know carb-free diet and I could lose 25 pounds in three weeks. The thing is this, as soon as you fuck up, that weight's coming back instantly. Mm. It's water weight, it's bullshit. Right now, it'd take me like five, six months to get the weight back. It'd take me even longer. Now I'm talking about just eating like a fucking piece yeah. of shit. I was eating at 1 a.m., I was smoking weed, eat all day, night, one, two in the morning. And just like eat whatever the fuck I want. Now I just do it within that schedule. Now, was that like stress eating or was that like 
the habits, see the cravings habits, or just bad habits, okay. just bad habits throughout life. I think if you really added up how much you snack throughout the day, you'd be surprised. No, like I'm late night snacks. I know exactly how bad like, it was because yeah. I look at myself now, you know? Interesting. Yeah. How are you keeping yourself calm, collected right now with everything going on? Do you meditate? Is it golf? Is it? Do you find an outlet through business? You know, man, I've asked all my friends who are very successful in, in business that have gone through divorces, and they're like, I just drown myself in work, and I knew that wasn't it because I'd be too emotional at work. So I think one thing about me is I'm a homebody, but at the same time, it's different when you're at home alone, right, or you don't have the kids that week or whatever. And um, I've never been through this this level of mental toughness in my life. Um, so, again, going back to the kids, yeah, I don't really have a choice, you know, because they need me. Mm -hmm. And um, that's where the toughest struggle is. And I think, I haven't lost it. I've had the, I think there have been times where I lost it for way less reason I think talking to the right people has helped me a lot, but I went through the darkest time in my life probably two months ago. I probably hit the, the, the rock bottom of all 50 years of my living on this earth. I don't think I've been in a darker place in my life. And then about a week ago, it kind of came back a little bit. And about two months ago, I was driving my kids to Dave and Buster's. And I looked over to all three of them, and I said, I would die for you. Like, what? I was like, I would literally take a bullet for you guys. I understand. You know, like, it's easy to say, but I, like, you know, you really mean it. Like, I, I would die for you guys. I would sacrifice my life for you. My middle son, Ryder, looked at me and he goes, I couldn't fucking believe this was coming out of an eight year old's mouth. He was like, But then, Dad, who would guide us through life? And I'm like going through a parking lot mm -hmm. and I stopped dead. And I pulled over. I was like, because he knew it couldn't be his grandfather. He knew it couldn't be his uncle. He knew it couldn't be anybody that his mom's friends with or anyone I'm friends with. He, he knew it couldn't be maybe his mom to teach him how to be a man. He meant it deeper than just saying like, you know, because he elaborated a little bit more. And I was like, fuck, man. That's crazy. He's like, you know, we know how hard you work. You know, we know you were gone a lot. I think early on for a long time, you know, my wife's, my wife's been a stay-at-home mom for 10 plus years. So like, you know, of course they're with her so much. And I was gone a lot. There was one year I was gone, 190, 190 days out of the year I was gone. And then, you know, right when the pandemic finally opened up, I was starting to go again. I think that definitely fucked some things up. But right now, I have the strongest relationship with my children I've ever had in my entire life. Like, when I say strong, I'm talking like it's a different level. Yeah. You know, like they'll go psycho without me. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. they're, they're, they're like heavy with me right now. So that right there is really the only way to keep calm. Because I think about them, yeah. you know. They seem great, by the way. They're so polite. Yeah. Oh my gosh! And they walk in. They're they're, they're in a they're in a bad. Yeah. They're 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 kind of acting bad today, man. But yeah, I right. I don't see it. Oh my gosh! I was so shy as a kid. They're coming up, like introducing themselves. Like seems so confident. Yeah, yeah, that was funny. And that's it's a rare thing because <laughs> yeah. my oldest one has gone through so many health issues. You know, he just came out of his shell like in this past year. I mean, up to even yeah. eight months ago where he didn't really speak at all. That's incredible. Yeah. So you probably got to go? Yeah, I got to get the okay. fuck out of here, cool. man. Hey, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. We really man, appreciate dude. it. Appreciate it, man. This was an honor, man. Thank you you man. have no idea. No, thank you good, so guys. much, man. Appreciate it, man. I told him it would be 40 minutes. I oh, shit. Sorry. Lose. Sorry. Yeah. Two hours.